Thank you for joining us for the Westport Road Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're located in Louisville, Kentucky, and we encourage you to visit our website at mywrbc.org, along with following us on Facebook. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as Pastor Chip Pendleton brings us the Word of God. Hey, take your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're going to be continuing our series called Resurrection Living. And today we're going to be talking about how do you live after you've come down from the mountaintop. Good, great job, David. How do you live after you've come down from the mountaintop? Now, Mount Everest is the highest point on planet Earth. It's 29,000 feet uh, above sea level. Uh, no one had ever been able to conquer Mount Everest and make it all the way to the top until 1953 when Edmund Hillary from New Zealand made it all the way to the top of Mount Everest. It was such an extraordinary time, an unbelievable event that Queen Elizabeth was going to have her coronation the very next morning and they woke her up in the middle of the night to tell her that Hillary had made it to the top of Mount Everest. Now that, that's pretty important if you've got to wait, wake up the queen in waiting to tell her an event that uh, dramatic has taken place. Of course, Edmund Hillary didn't stay on the top of Mount Everest, did he? He came down, uh, as you would have thought, but because of his mountaintop experience, it changed his life forevermore. The queen knighted him. Uh, New Zealand put him on their money, uh, which is kind of impressive. If in your own lifetime you're, you're on the money of your home country. Uh, he had all kinds of accolades throughout the world and uh, basically had a free ticket and, and all the money you could have ever imagined the rest of his life and did some very neat things with it, helping the less fortunate. But because of his mountaintop experience, it caused the life that he led every day to be different when he came back down. We're going to look at how our mountaintop experiences are there to encourage us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to help us when we come back down from the mountain. Now, two weeks ago when we started this sermon series, we saw in Acts 1, the disciples were told, wait in Jerusalem until this promised spirit comes. In chapter 2, we saw the coming of the Spirit. They had that great mountaintop experience. And we had 3,000 people uh, being saved in one day. And now that great day of Pentecost is now over. And the disciples are now back to living their everyday lives. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And the first thing we see is this. Our mountaintop experiences help us to view life in a different way. Our mountaintop experiences help us to to view the rest of life, the ordinary mundane things of life, in a different way. Look over to chapter 3. Chapter 3. As chapter 3 starts, Peter and John are going about their business. They're entering into the temple, and as they go into the temple to worship that day, there's a man who's there every single day. He's been there for decades, not for years. He's been there for decades. Uh, He's a beggar. Uh, and everybody knows this beggar, very well known. And when he walks in, the beggar asks them for some money. And that's where we pick up in verse 6 of chapter 3. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. He took him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. 
He went with them into the temple courts. He was walking and jumping up and down and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so you have this wonderful story here of this man being healed. But why did it take place? Up to this point, we haven't heard anything about the disciples doing miracles unless they had been with Jesus. But Jesus is now gone. So what has given Peter the newfound confidence to do this? It's the mountaintop experiences that he had. He saw Jesus resurrected from the grave, literally saw Jesus before him. He saw Jesus say, you know, I'm reinstating you for ministry. You've been forgiven. He saw on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people saved. And when he walked into the temple that day, he didn't walk in as he had other times. He walked in with his antenna up. He walked in expecting God to do something. He walked in looking for God to give him an opportunity to do something. That's what mountaintop experiences do for you. Suddenly, it changes the way you look at the rest of the world. I've had this wonderful experience with God, and now I see the rest of the world differently. And so when he walks into the temple that day, he's expecting God to do something. And when this beggar comes up to him, he uses it as an opportunity, and that man becomes whole. Now look down to verse 11 as we go on. Verse 11 of chapter 3. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, just as we talked a couple of weeks ago, Peter's following that pattern. He's looking for God to work. God starts to do something, and then he joins God in what he's doing. And that's exactly what Peter does here. A crowd begins to develop. People come running from everywhere. That beggar at the temple that's been there for a couple of decades, he's been healed. Everybody's running up to see it. And then Peter says, ah, this is an opportunity from God to do something. And so he starts preaching to them about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus, and he's taking that opportunity that God has given him. And then look over to chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. So the church goes from 3,000 to 5,000 in one day. Unbelievable. At Pentecost, it went to 3,000. Now it's gone to 5,000. All because Peter looked at life differently. His mountaintop experiences caused him to say, I expect God to work. When I see God working, I'm going to jump in there and join him. And now he's had another mountaintop experience. Everything has changed. He's never going to view life as normal, mundane, and routine again. He's going to see every day and every activity that he's involved in as a time for God to work and do something. 
How would it change your life if that's how you viewed every day? When you got up to go to work and when you got up to go to school, you said, God's going to do something today and I'm going to be out there looking for God to give me opportunities and to bring people into my life. And you're literally looking for God to do something. It wouldn't be a routine day any longer. It would change everything about you. Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively, one of the power couples of Hollywood, got, got their picture right here. They're not bad-looking people, you know, on the, on the scale of bad-looking. You know, they're, they're pretty good-looking people. Well, Ryan Reynolds and Blake did an re- interview recently, and they asked him, uh, what do you like best about your wife? Now, realize she's sitting right next to him. And this is what he says. I love my li- wife because of the kind of person she is in her heart. She has an empathy that I never even understood when I married her. She meets everything with understanding and care. She meets anger with love. She meets hate with love. She'll take the time to imagine what happened in a person's life when they were five or six years old that caused them to behave the way that they are behaving now. And she's made me a more caring and loving person. I had a very fractured relationship with my father. It was a very abusive relationship. And before he died, they asked for me to visit him. And I said, there's no way I would go see him. And Blake set me down, took my hand and looked into my eyes and said, I don't care about all the bad stuff. I just want you to tell me any good memory you have with you and your father. I didn't want to do it, but she made me. And slowly I began to think of good times, things I'd repressed for years. And when I got through, I was crying. And she said, now you need to go see your dad. And my dad and I reconciled shortly before he died. Why do I love her? Because she makes me a better man. Now, you're Blake Lively, and you're sitting next to him. The next time he doesn't put the, t- the top on the toothpaste, do you think you might look at him just a little bit differently? That's what God wants you to know. When you've had a mountaintop experience, you're never going to look at life the same again. You're going to be expecting God to do amazing things every day, All around you. And that brings us to the second thing that we see in our scripture passage. Okay, these mountaintop experiences, they rev us up. They get us going. They help us meet the mundane of life. However, there are still going to be valleys when you come down from the mountain. There are still going to be valleys when you come down from the mountain. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. You've had this great opportunity. Peter takes it. 2,000 people are saved. The church grows from three to 5,000. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, and they put them in jail until the next day. Down to verse 5. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Uh, Annas the high priest was there, as was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they begin to question them, by what power and whose name have you done these things? Now, you've got to remember this when you think about this. So Peter and John are arrested in the middle of Peter's preaching, and they're they're put in jail overnight. So all night long, they've been in jail. And then they're brought out, and who are they standing before? The exact same people who put Jesus to death. This is the group that condemned Jesus and sent him to Pilate. And they are before the exact same people now. And where were they just a a few weeks ago? 
A few weeks ago, they were grieving and hiding and afraid of these very people. And now they're standing before them. And you can imagine how difficult that was for them at this time. You see, what Satan does to us is that whenever you have one of these mountaintop experiences, he's going to want to pop your bubble because he's not going to want you to live there and enjoy it. And so often you will be attacked as soon as you have one of these mountaintop experiences because your enemy doesn't want that to continue on in your life. He wants to discourage you. He might, might hit you with an old sin and tell you, look, you're never going to get over that. You haven't changed. Nothing's different. You're just like you always were. It might be a health issue that comes up in your life, a relationship trouble that suddenly comes out of nowhere. And you're going to be wondering, you know, is anything ever really changed? Because he's trying to discourage you from that mountaintop. I have a, a good friend who pastors in the area. And on Easter Sunday, his church had the largest attendance ever in their history of the church. He was so excited. It was Easter. More people than had ever been there before showed up on Easter Sunday. And he said, I was so excited. And one of our long-term members walked out uh, getting ready to leave. And I'm on cloud nine. And she walked up to me and said, I think I must have had to park two miles away to get here. I want you to know if this doesn't change, I won't be back. And I pay the majority of the bills around here. And you just need to know that. And suddenly he said it was like that balloon popped like that. You see, Satan couldn't stop God from doing something good that day. But he could make that man feel bad about it. Because that's all he can do. And so that balloon often pops when trouble comes because we're thinking, why did it happen? But whenever you come down from a mountain, you can experience altitude sickness. Did you know 50% of people who, who mountain climb get sick when they come back down because the descent is too quick and everything? Here's a picture of a guy right here that, that's gotten sick coming down from the mountain. You know, that altitude sickness comes in. Got a little chart here about altitude sickness. You know, man, it causes all kinds of bad problems. And one out of two people who come down from a mountain get altitude sickness because you've gone from the heights all the way back down. And that's what happens in our life. When you have that mountaintop experience with God and then suddenly it's the routine, everyday, mundane things again, it's like, man, I want to live up on the mountain. But mountaintops aren't where we live. Mountaintops are to encourage us and keep us going in the everyday things of life. And that brings us to the third thing that we see in our scripture. Our mountaintop experiences, though, give us courage and boldness when we hit the valleys. You will have mountaintops and you will have valleys. But when you hit the valley, you will hit it differently because of the mountaintop. It will give you a courage and boldness. So get our story right again. Peter and John have been in jail all night long because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. The next morning, they are put to trial in front of the very people that sentenced Jesus to death. Who would be a little bit nervous here? Well, me, I guess, nobody else, you know, but, but they, you would think normal people would be nervous. So let's see what happens uh, down in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, this is what you should know and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands here healed. 
Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. He is the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to man by which you must be saved. Wow. The very people that put Jesus to death are intimidating Peter and John and say, whose power did you do this through? Answer us. And Peter says, it's through the name of Jesus, the one you killed, but God raised from the dead. That's boldness. That's courage. A few weeks earlier, Peter was hiding in an upper room, afraid of these people. And now he's getting in their face and telling them they're the ones that killed Jesus. Why is he doing it? Because of those mountaintop experiences that God gave him. He'd seen Jesus risen from the grave. He had been reinstated by Jesus. He saw the Spirit come and dwell him on Pentecost. He had now seen 2,000 more people saved and a, and a, a lame beggar walk. And so now when the challenges of life came upon him in the valley, he responded to them with boldness and courage because he'd seen God work over and over again in his life and he was not intimidated. Look at verse uh, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. Why aren't they afraid of us? How come they're not scared? You know, uh, how do they get this Bible knowledge? And then they understood they had been with Jesus. And then to wrap this section up, look down to verse 16. What are we going to do with these men, they ask. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we will warn them to no longer speak in the name. They called them in again and commanded them to never speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, is it right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. All of us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They didn't know how to punish them. All the people were praising God for what had happened. The man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So Peter and John remain bold. They're told, never preach in his name again or we will kill you just like we killed him. And Peter says, should I listen to you or should I obey God? I think I'll obey God. Where does that boldness come from? It comes from the spirit that was given to them on that day of Pentecost. It comes from seeing God on those mountaintops. So they now have a boldness to meet the valleys. You're going to have valleys in your life. They're going to be hard and they're going to be dangerous, just as they were for Peter. I mean, their lives are on the line here. But when you know that God has worked in the past and you've seen what God has done in your life, it will give you an encouragement and a strength to get through what you are are facing. In Baghdad and Iraq, there's a church called St. George's Church. A couple of months ago... uh, Bombs were thrown into the church. Gunfire was done. Got a picture here uh, of St. George's Church. Several people were killed in the church. Uh, ISIS then let it be known that they had a death warrant put out on the pastor who was named Cannon White. And that uh, if Cannon White showed back up at the church or if anyone else did, that Cannon White would be killed. If he was anywhere in the community, they said that there is a death sentence and that anyone who believed in the real God should kill Cannon White. 
The next day, he went throughout the community ministering to people and letting people know he was there. And here's a picture of Cannon White when he went out. He's wearing a flag jacket, going out into the community and ministering to people because he was not going to be intimidated. There is a boldness that comes when you know God is with you and that God is working with you, even in the valleys. And that's what we see here. And that brings us to the next thing that we see. When we have boldness in the valleys, when we respond to our troubles and our problems with faith, when you have boldness in the valleys, that's when you start really seeing resurrection power. You see, God's waiting for your faith to activate his power. And when God sees your faith, that's when we begin to see God's power. And that's exactly what we see in our scripture passage. Look down to verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they go back to the church. They get the whole church together. And they said, we've been put on warning. If we preach or teach in his name, they're going to kill us. And then look at how the church responds to this. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So what's the first thing you're supposed to do when you hit a valley? You're supposed to take it to God in prayer. And when they pray, the first thing they pray is that they're recognizing God's sovereignty and greatness and how he's over everything. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the heathen rage and all the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So what's their prayer? Basically, they start out their prayer and they say, you're Lord over everything. And the only reason that evil people are rising up against you is that you've allowed them to do so. They have no power in and of themselves. And then look at the next thing they pray in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's one of the greatest prayers I've ever heard in my life. Do you know what they pray? First of all, what would we have prayed in that situation? People are threatening our life and wanting to kill us. What would we pray? Get rid of the bad people and take, take away all of our problems. You know, that's our prayer. We don't want to have any more problems. Get, get rid of all of our problems and let everything be okay. That's what we would have prayed. That's not what they prayed here because they're realistic. In this world, you're going to have problems. You know, it's how you meet your problems that make the difference. And so they don't pray, take away our problems. The best they get to that is they say, consider their threats. But after they pray, consider their threats, this is what they pray. In the middle of their threats, in the middle of them wanting to kill us, give us boldness to keep doing what we're doing, that your name be glorified. They didn't pray, take us away from the problems and troubles. They said, give us boldness in our problems and troubles. What if that's how we pray? What if instead of saying, Lord, take away all our problems, our, our prayer was, Lord, give me boldness in the middle of my problems to stand for you and to make a difference in the world. Was God pleased with that prayer? Look at verse 31. After they prayed, the whole room they were meeting in began to shake. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and boldly proclaimed the word of God. Woo! 
The whole room begins to shake. They get all fired up. They run out and start telling everybody about Jesus. Were they still under a death sentence? Yes. Would they end up paying for it? Yes, some of them with their very lives. And yet they have gone out with a boldness because their prayer wasn't take all this away. Help me be bold when these times come. We were talking about uh, St. George Church in Baghdad. ISIS put out a decree this time that any Christians on Easter who went there would be killed just as they had been before. And so Canon White put out a thing throughout Iraq. Christians, stand for your faith. This is the time you need to show up at church. This was St. George Church this Easter. It was packed with people who had come to worship. But in, the, in what is called the Nineveh Triangle there, it is believed that ISIS had killed every single Christian in the area except maybe a half dozen people or so. They had taken all the elders of the church who met. They slaughtered them in the middle of the sanctuary there. And it was believed there weren't any Christians in the area. And this word came out from Canon White. If you are a Christian, show up at Easter. And in an area of Iraq today that they believe there was less than a half dozen Christians, this is what happened on Easter Sunday. The place was packed with people no one knew about. Christians begin to come out of the woodwork and say, we're going to stand for our faith. Now, that's not saying, Lord, take away all of the threats and problems. It's saying, Lord, give us boldness in the midst of our hurts and challenges. And that's what they prayed in their time. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. The end result will be that God's kingdom is straightened. The end result is that God's kingdom will be strengthened. Now, we said after every one of these mountaintop experiences in the book of Acts, there's then a summary passage that tells what was the result it had on the church. So Peter and John now are back. They've had the prayer. They're under this death sentence. Uh, The church has found this newfound boldness. What effect did it have on the church? That summary passage is 32 through 37 of chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed anything as their own. They shared everything they had. So there's a new care. There's a newfound strength, a newfound unity. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all uh, that there were no needy persons among them. So they're continuing to go out and boldly preach, even better than before. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. They're loving and caring for one another. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That's just introducing Barnabas to you for the rest of the book of Acts. So what's the end result? The church is strengthened. There's unity. They now have a renewed boldness in going and preaching Jesus, all because they have found this newfound strength in the midst of their valleys. We would all love to live on the mountaintop. But you get to a mountaintop and you come back down. That's not where we live. But the mountaintops give us strength and courage and boldness when we hit the valleys. Because we know God's worked before and he's going to work again. And when we have that boldness, it begins to change everything about us. There's a lady by the name of uh, Montana Carey. And her husband died about a year and a half ago. 
she's just in her uh, late 30s. They had a six-year-old girl, and uh, she's a triathlete. And uh, uh, several months ago, she was talking to some friends and said, my husband always wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And after her friends left, her six-year-old daughter came in and said, Mom, why don't you and I climb Mount Kilimanjaro for Daddy? And she said, well, honey, you're six years old. I don't think, you know, we need to be going and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And she said, why not? Let's do it. And so her mom began to check and found out there were no official rules about six-year-olds climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, she said, well, we need to go into training. So her and her daughter began to train for about a year. And when her daughter was seven, they flew to Tanzania. Uh, they went to Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, the guides there said, you're crazy. Uh, you know, a mom and a seven-year-old girl, year old girl aren't going to climb Kilimanjaro. Here's a picture they took just this week on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. When they came down, they were both in tears. And they said, we feel closer to one another and closer to dad than we've ever been in our whole lives. And the daughter just kept saying, that was for my dad. That was a mountaintop experience that that young girl is never going to forget the rest of her life. That time that she did that amazing feat and she did it for her dad. You're going to have valleys in your life and they're going to be severe. But that's where the mountaintops come in. And you say, God's been with me before. He's strengthened me. He's encouraged me. And he's going to do it right here. And you can meet your valley with a boldness that will not only challenge the valley, it's going to make a difference to everybody around you. When they see you and they see your faith. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the mountaintops that get us through the valleys. Lord, help us to realize that you've been with us in the past. You're going to be with us in the present. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this time of invitation where you're being invited to what God says to you. And during this time, one of the things I'd like for you to do is just look at your life and say, what are my valleys right now? What am I going through? What's the hurt? What are the challenges? And then to look at your life and say, where's God been with me in the past? Where's God been faithful? And then to say, I know he's been faithful in the past. And just right where you're standing, say, Lord, give me the strength to meet my valley, knowing your faithfulness has always been with me. Just pray that prayer right where you're standing. You can come and pray at this altar. We've got ministers that would love to pray with you as well. Uh, You can come and say, I want to join this church, be a part of what this church is doing in this community. And the most important thing you could ever do is say, I want Jesus Christ in my life and come down and accept him as Lord and Savior and follow him in baptism. But this is your time and your opportunity. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing.
We hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you have prayer needs or want more information about Westport Road Baptist Church, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org. Please join us for Sunday morning services at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. Finally, if you can't join us in person, both services are available through the video stream online, both on our website and on Facebook. View the service live or later on, and the entire worship service is available. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.